Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Tracy Sandler Show brought to you by FIVO. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and super duper duper excited to welcome back for Seahawks week, Seahawks reporter from NFL Nation on ESPN, Brady Henderson. We love Brady on the podcast. We love Brady in life. So Brady, welcome back. What's up, Tracy? Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too. We got a Thanksgiving football game. I have actually, I don't know if you have, you probably have. I have never covered a game on Thanksgiving. Um, uh, I have, let's see. Not, I don't think as a full-time beat guy, I know the Seahawks played the 49ers on Thanksgiving like 10 years ago or so. Yeah. I think it was during the end of Har- yeah, ended Harbaugh's yeah. tenure, right? And so, yes, um, uh, you, said, you said the magic words, but I'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if that's a trigger word right now, but no, it's um, a wonderful word. I love him. <laughs> yeah, I did not cover that game. So, yeah, I believe, unless I'm missing one, I think this will be the first Thanksgiving game I've actually covered in person. Yes, I'm uh, I'm kind of excited about it. I think it'll be a cool experience. Um, to let the listeners know, though I'm assuming everybody listening to this does know, the game we are speaking of are the 49ers against the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle, one of the toughest, or as Kyle Shanahan said Monday, if not the toughest, stadium to play in in the league. It should be a great game between two division rivals, 49ers coming off two wins, and a, a beating of the Buccaneers, though not a beat down, but a beating of the Buccaneers, in which Brock Purdy had an excellent day. We'll get into that. And then the Seahawks, of course, coming off a bit of a heartbreaker there at the end against the Rams at SoFi, also a little banged up. So let's start there. The Niners are as well, but let's start there, Brady, with the Seahawks. Where is everybody? Because you got a couple big injuries yesterday. Yeah, they were already a little bit banged up going into that game, and then they got even more banged up when Geno Smith uh, left the game at the end of the third quarter. Uh, He eventually returned after missing most of uh, about three possessions. Um, He was still pretty sore afterwards, but Pete Carroll did say on his radio show Monday morning that he does think Smith is going to be able to play, and he called it a good sign that he was able to come back in that game for the final drive. Uh, now, Ken Walker the third. I'm less confident, and I imagine the Seahawks are as well, that he's going to be able to play just given the quick turnaround. So he hurt his oblique on the first series of that game Sunday against the Rams. Didn't end up coming back in the game. Uh, Carroll said post-game that it's a strain, and uh, Carroll used one of his code words, which is legit. Uh, <laughs> he usually uses that to describe injuries that are going to keep, that will you know sideline a guy for some time. And so um, he might have a hard time coming back, even if this was like a Sunday to a Sunday game, I think more so given that it's, you know, the quick turnaround for a Thursday game. And then, uh, Jamal Adams is another guy. He did not play, uh, in the, in the Rams game. He's still dealing with just lingering soreness from that, uh, really bad torn quad tendon from last season's opener. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still giving him issues. He's had to regularly miss practice time, and then he missed this past game because of it. So it sounds like he's got a chance, but um, it doesn't sound like they are necessarily expecting him to play. So they're going to have to wait and see on it. The holiday season is off and rolling with NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting midseason form. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. With up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, Bet Online is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just the big four. 
BetOnline has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that's played, from MMA to international soccer. Head to BetOnline today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. And with the 49ers in terms of injuries, Kyle Shanahan confirmed on Monday that safety Talanoa Hufunga did unfortunately tear his ACL in Sunday's game. So he is out for the remainder of the season, though they are confident he'll be ready for week one next year. So that is certainly good news for them and for Hufunga, but a blow to the 49ers defense. The 49ers have been without offensive lineman Aaron Banks. I would imagine that will continue into Thursday. But if I'm wrong about that, guys, celebrate it and don't get mad at me for being wrong. I'm going to go with that. But that's what they have. They have rookie safety Jair Brown who came in for Hufunga, had a shaky couple of first plays and then really settled in and had an interception, three PBUs. And we had really quite a game or three passes defended. Quite a game for San Francisco, and Kyle Shanahan said one of the cool things about him is that he's basically been practicing as if he expected this moment to come at any moment, and that's why he thinks he did so well. His teammates spoke well of him, and next man up for better or for worse in San Francisco. They've had to deal with a lot of injuries over the years, so they have figured out how to keep it going. But for the most part, other than that, which is a big injury, San Francisco is pretty healthy, what do you see here? What is going on with Geno Smith? What has the season been like for him so far? And how do you think this Seahawks offense is going to go up against this staunch 49ers defense? Yeah, it's been an eventful season for Geno. And, you know, it's he's been a lot less consistent than he was last season, really in the first half of last season. Remember, he made the Pro Bowl last year and he won Comeback Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. It was really on the strength of what he did in the first half. And then he was a little bit shaky down the stretch. Uh, kind of ran into a, a turnover issue, maybe not coincidentally as Seattle's run game faltered. And I think you're seeing some of those same issues uh, this season, or at least you have up until the last couple games. Uh, there was a stretch of four games where he committed eight turnovers and I think only had four touchdown passes in that uh, stretch. Now, as always, you know, you have to look at everything that's going on. You got to look at the big picture. And there certainly were things going on around him that, contributed to that the offensive line which has been you know shuffling guys in and out they've had i think eight or nine different starting combinations in 10 games pass protection has certainly been inconsistent um he's had some drops along the way he's he's you know there's two rookie receivers who are playing quite a bit for them and they're mostly doing well but there are also have been some growing pains and so you know some of those turnovers were on him no doubt but also a product of uh just kind of the offense trying to find its way around him and so the last couple games, actually, he has not committed a turnover. Now, he he missed a couple series uh, in that Rams game again, but he was playing pretty well uh, before that. Um, you know, the numbers didn't really stand out as spectacular, but, you know, he was efficient. Uh, even had some drops in there that uh, contributed to some of the incompletions, uh, but it was another turnover-free game for him. And so, um, you know, it's gotten to a point this season where, as you know, Tracy, like the old saying is that the most popular guy in town is the backup quarterback. And that his, that, you know, Smith's play has been shaky enough to where some people have, you know, said they want to see what the Seahawks have in Drew Locke. I I think the game on Sunday, you know, where Locke, and granted, it's hard for backups to come in cold like that in the middle of the game and, and really 
you know, come out on fire, but I think he was like two of six for three yards and an interception. So not um, ideal. Not no. ideal. Yeah. And I think I think between the way Smith played and what little they got out of Drew Locke on, you know, pretty much three possessions, I think that's, you know, more evidence that for as shaky as Smith has been at times this season, it's still pretty clear that he is their best option. It feels like with numbers like that, Drew Locke may now be the least popular guy in town. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't I don't think anybody's going to be calling for him uh, again anytime soon. I mean, but but, you know, again, like he is a talented guy and it is hard to to come in like that. Um, right. He wasn't he had a couple deep shots that weren't far off uh, from being completed. But, you know, it's a it's a production based, uh, you know, job, as we all know. And so um, and, and he really hasn't had I mean, he didn't play last year at all. He did take a regular season snap last year. Uh, after the Seahawks acquired him in the Russell Wilson trade. And there was a lot of people when they made that trade in the building who thought that he was going to be their starter. And so it's been kind of an odd, um, you know, season and a half for Locke in Seattle. But um, yeah, I, I think you aren't going to hear as many of the of the murmurs uh, to, to see what they've got in him after what happened on Sunday. Well, speaking of, well, this isn't totally the correct segue, but I'm going to try for it anyway. So bear with me. I was going to say, Speaking of backups that are now starters, but that wasn't the best way to do that. But let's talk about Brock Purdy, who had a great game right. on Sunday. He It's interesting, when in the 49ers three-game skid, he, of course, got a lot of criticism. There were a few bad interceptions in there. But if you look at his play, like really look at his play, and look at the numbers, he played well. He made a couple bad mistakes things that he learned from, things he'd like to have back. But he really did play well. He did not He did not necessarily have a three-game skid personally. Uh, again, a couple bad interceptions, but it you know personally, he still played well. The last couple weeks, he's looked like, you know, the second coming of Joe Montana, especially on Sunday when he had a perfect passer rating of 158.3. He threw for 333 yards. I think he only had four incompletions. I want to say 21 of 25. And I'm remembering that without the numbers in front of me and the three touchdown passes and that one touchdown pass to Brandon Ayuk that was so perfectly thrown. It went up in the air and the first thought was interception. And then, no, it is thrown absolutely at the perfect spot. We've seen that from him now often. We've seen it the last couple of weeks. This Seattle game is interesting because last year, his first start was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers three days later goes into Seattle. They call that the rib game where he was injured. He played a fantastic game. The 49ers win. They're NFC champions. What is this defense going to have to do to try to stop Brock Purdy? Because he really, he's the perfect Kyle Shanahan quarterback at this point. He can extend plays with his legs. He can move around. He's accurate. He can run that offense. He's got tremendous weapons around him. So what challenges will that pose for the Seahawks defense? A lot of them, yeah, and and I think you know <laughs> it's yeah, and it's not just it's not just Purdy. It's you know yeah. they've they've got to contend with uh, Kittle and the two great receivers and and McCaffrey, who Pete Carroll on his radio show uh, Monday morning said that you know, he thinks McCaffrey is the focal point of that offense. Not that that is going to be news to anybody uh, in San yeah, Francisco. Yeah, he's right. He's yeah, awesome. he's he's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, I I do think that the Seahawks are going to be better equipped to handle McCaffrey than they were last year because, uh, you know, run defense was their Achilles heel last season. That mm-hmm. was, they were one of the worst uh, rush defenses in the NFL. They've gotten quite a bit better uh, this year. They were, I think, one of the best, if not the best, over the first month or so of the season. Hit a little bit of a lull 
and, and kind of started to leak oil a little bit, but they've gotten it back on track. I think they only allowed three yards per carry against the Rams. Um, so Leonard Williams is, is making a difference for them. He was, you know, the defensive tackle they acquired at the trade deadline from the Giants. They lost Yuchenna Nwosu, which was a big deal for them because he was maybe their best front seven defender, certainly their best edge rusher. Um, and, and you've seen them adjust by moving Draymond Jones outside and having him play on the edge a little bit more because uh, they feel like he's more stout there than Daryl Taylor is, and they, they like keeping Daryl Taylor in more of a pass rushing role. Uh, but getting Williams inside allows them to do that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, this is one game where it seems like having Adams would be a big deal just because mm-hmm. they need that extra pass rush threat. Um, but again, it's not certain that he's going to play just with the, you know, the lingering effects he's dealing with from that torn quad tendon from last season. And you brought up, obviously, the two receivers. You have George Kittle. George Kittle, who's really had a lot of opportunity the last several weeks. He and Brock Purdy have a great connection. And that's something that 49ers fans have been calling for for quite some time is, you know, more passes to Kittle. He shouldn't just be used as a blocker. And it's really coming alive. This offense seems to be hitting on all cylinders. But if there's a place where the 49ers have struggled on offense, uh, it is in the red zone. They've really struggled over the last few weeks in the red zone. They've still been able to score, obviously, and they've been fine. And uh, it's worth mentioning because this is my podcast. So obviously I'm going to mention it. Jake Moody was perfect on Sunday with his two field goals and all of his extra points. So you're not going to be on a lot of podcasts, Brady, that make that a big thing about how the kicker hit a 28-yarder and a 37-yarder. But in this case, you're going to hear about it. So, But they have struggled in the red zone. What is Seattle's defense like? there and is that a place where they can capitalize yeah it's been okay their biggest issue on defense has been third down this season and and it's also an issue on offense that came into that game on sunday ranked 30th uh in third down offense and i think they were right around the same ranking in terms of defense they were actually quite a bit better uh, on third down they only allowed the Rams to go two of nine and they stopped them they held them to two of four uh, in the red zone, including a, a really nice goal line stand early in that game where the Rams ran, I think, four plays from the five-yard line or closer, uh, and they kept them out of the end zone, didn't allow any points there. And so um, I, I just think it it's a different when you talk about a Kyle Shanahan offense and all the weapons there compared to a Rams offense, which has a similarly uh, really good play caller and head coach um, and maybe even a a more talented quarterback, but not as many weapons, certainly not as good of an offensive line. Um, And so I think it's this game is just going to be challenging for the Seahawks on so many levels. I mean, I go back to last season, that game against the Seahawks in Seattle, um, where you know you can hang with them for two quarters and and you know they were they were competitive in that game mm-hmm. for at least the first half, and then you just saw the the 49ers talent advantage play out over the second half of that game, and um, I think you also saw how dangerous it can be when you mix all of that talent with a really good play caller, a really good schemer, and Kyle Shanahan, and I'm thinking of that uh, <laughs> that funky sort of double fake screenplay mm-hmm. to Kittle that I think resulted in a touchdown where Purdy okay. faked right, uh, fake left, and then hit Kittle. That, I've never seen a play like that. And uh, it just, it just, it goes to show how dangerous that offense can be when you combine all of the factors that can beat teams. That play for me was when I thought Purdy was the real deal. To be honest, I felt like this is his second start. He's injured. He had not attempted to pass all week. 
And he came into that game as a rookie in that environment. And that play, I was like, this guy, to take a word from Pete Carroll, this guy's legit. So that, that was quite a play. And I think that's, I think that sealed it for the 49ers as well. So this 49ers defense has a, has a new member in Chase Young. He's made such a difference these last couple weeks, obviously just his presence, his ability, he's making plays, but also his presence on the field, similarly to how getting Debo Samuel back has made a difference for San Francisco. His He's made plays. His numbers have not been tremendous, but he's certainly made plays. But just having him on the field also makes such a difference. So I think for the 49ers, it's obviously going to be bringing pressure to Geno Smith, creating those takeaways and really trying to probably pick on those young rookie receivers you talked about and and stopping the run game. Not that I know I just mentioned like 27 things for them to do, <laughs> but it's, it's, th- it's things they do well. And I think they're playing against a Seahawks team in which they can play their game and do all those things well. Yeah, and, and the Chase Young, Leonard Williams, um, you know, their how they fare from here on out, and however long they they remain with their current teams, I think that's going to be interesting to track over the next few years because they were, you know, those were the two moves that these teams mm-hmm. made at the trade deadline, and you know, there was some criticism uh, for the Seahawks for giving up more, you know, for Leonard Williams, who's an older player than Chase Young, I think five years older. Um, you know, two guys that I think are on the, in the last year of their deal, yeah. and the, the Seahawks, no doubt, they gave up a lot for Leonard Williams, a second round pick, um, for a guy who you know for what may only be ten games of Leonard Williams because he's not signed beyond this season. Now, part of that trade off for them was they got the Giants to pay the remainder of his salary, and Seattle also threw in like a fifth round pick in two thousand and twenty five, I think it was okay. to to finish out that trade. So they gave up a lot. Uh, there's no doubt, but there's also no, no doubt that Leonard Williams was their guy and, and they clearly wanted him over Chase Young. They actually had tried to trade for Leonard Williams um, last year, but the Giants were obviously ended up being a playoff team. So they had no interest in trading for him. I did hear this about Chase Young, which is that the Seahawks had a conversation with Washington. It was actually, they were calling to check on another player um, and, and, whoever they were speaking with, with Washington tried to steer the conversation towards Chase Young. And so the Seahawks were already pretty, you know, wary of his medical situation and all the injury Mm -hmm. history that he's had. And then they thought it was kind of a red flag that Washington seemed so intent um, on trading a player that, you know, they had drafted second overall less than four years ago. And so um, again, but as you say, he's making plays for them. And so it sounds like, you know, that trade so far is at least working out for San Francisco the way that, you know, so far Leonard Williams is working out for Seattle. But it is going to be interesting to track that over the next few years uh, and see who ended up getting the better deal there. Absolutely. And it's interesting. In 2019, the 49ers traded for Emmanuel Sanders, and that made a difference. It was a big reason they made it to the Super Bowl. And I think they view, and it sounds like the Seahawks view, or San Francisco specifically, I think, really obviously views this year as a year that they kind of have to win the Super Bowl. They've been very focused on it. They wouldn't flat out say it. They don't like talking about windows. But the reality is this next year or two, they got to win in a place where they were really lacking was oddly enough, that defensive line with all that talent, for whatever reason, they just weren't getting the production. And some of it may have been Bosa's holdout, et cetera. But nonetheless, they weren't getting the production. They needed that extra piece and they got it. Uh, It will be interesting to track because I think Chase Young, I mean, granted, he's been there like a minute and a half, but he likes being there with Nick Bosa and they certainly play very well off each other. We know Nick Bosa is going to be in San Francisco for a very long time. So 
be interesting to see how it plays out. But the medical stuff is real. And that's the big thing that they have to keep an eye on. I think we've probably talked before about this. It's my least favorite narrative because it's football and people get hurt. But there are players that do struggle to stay healthy. And Chase Young has certainly been one of them. Should he stay healthy? It's going to look like a fantastic trade because essentially it was a third round compensatory pick. But, you know, we'll see how it goes in these next several weeks. But so far, it's been really good for San Francisco. It does seem to have made a difference for them. Um, and we'll see what it does on Thursday night. So these games are always so weird, Brady, these 49ers Seahawks games. We have seen so many of them over the years, and it doesn't necessarily matter who the better team is, though, as you said earlier, last year we saw the Seahawks could hang for about a half, and then the 49ers really pulled away. But how do you see this one playing out? I just always think these ones are weird in Seattle on Thanksgiving. The 49ers should win this one, but you know something weird will happen. I'm going to see, see how many more times I can say the word weird. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, the Seahawks are known for playing weird games, like especially in primetime. And so uh, mm-hmm. division game, that sometimes happens as well. So you've got a lot of factors Thanksgiving uh, as well. Who knows what could happen on Thanksgiving? So, yeah, it's, um, I, I just think the the 49ers, I mean, it's been clear for a while now uh, that they have a pretty big talent advantage that was plainly obvious last season when they swept the Seahawks. Uh, in three games, and I think beat them by an average of two touchdowns in those games. It was clear this offseason, even as the Seahawks, you know, made some nice moves. I thought they had a good offseason with, you know, adding talent with the two first round picks with Draymond Jones, their big free agent signing. Um, but it was still clear just comparing the rosters side by side that there's a big edge in talent uh, with the 49ers. And so my my thought going into this season, Tracy, was that the only way, you know, save for some, you know, catastrophic string of injuries, like the only way the Seahawks were going to make up that gap is mm-hmm. if Purdy, you know, had this big regression and if Gino played better than he did last year. And neither of those things have happened. But but that mm-hmm. was how it would have to happen, I think, just mm-hmm. because, you know, quarterback's obviously the most important position. And if there's one way that you could really make a difference there and make up that talent gap, it's it's at that spot. But, you know, Gino, like I said, has been up and down. Um, and Purdy, you know, he was, looked a little shaky during that three-game losing streak. But now I think he's what he's the highest-rated passer in the NFL. And so yeah. um, he looks like he's fine. And, and now you're dealing with, you know, a quarterback in Geno Smith who's sounds like he's going to play, but is he going to be at 100%? I wouldn't imagine. And again, I it, I think it's going to be hard for Ken Walker the third to play. And so, look, at full strength, this would be a really tough game for the Seahawks. It's going to be even tougher um, given that they're still pretty banged up. So I, I, I see this being another 49ers victory. I would agree with that. It's funny when you talk about the talent advantage, I was just going through my head. It really is incredible, all the stars the 49ers have on this team. But I think what makes them good and makes them aside from all the talent is the fact that all those stars have one goal and they all want to win a Super Bowl. So who's getting the ball and and who's getting the accolades and the statistics seem less, less important, but they do have a tremendous talent advantage. It is really hard to stop an offense with Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Trent Williams. I mean, and of course, Brock Purdy. So that is definitely, um, going to make a big difference and then looking on the defensive side of the ball same kind of thing um the wild card might be Jair Brown but we saw how he played in the the last several minutes of Sunday's game and it looks like he is ready for that opportunity I'll ask you one more question who do you think 
If the Seahawks were to pull this off, who do you think the X factor would be? If the Seahawks were to pull it off, who the X factor is, I think it's going to take, you know, some sort of explosive play to really, you know, flip the game. And that has not totally been their strength this season. And, you know, part of that is the fact that their offensive line has been pretty shaky. And I think they just haven't had time to run a lot of those, you know, longer developing passing plays that end up, you know, being those 60-yard gains where Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf, you know, gets behind the defense. Some, you know, a lot of their explosive plays have been shorter throws um, where a guy runs after the catch. Ken Walker the third had one last week against Washington where he took a dump-off pass uh, and, and took it 64 yards to the end zone. So if he was healthy, I would say that he would be that X factor because he has that home run speed, the ability to, you know, take a short gain and turn it into a long touchdown run. And that is the kind of play that the Seahawks will need probably a few of them to win this game, just because I don't think they're good enough to line up, uh, you know, and go toe to toe with San Francisco and put together these 10 play drives where they march down the field and convert a couple times on third down to keep the drive alive. I think this is a game where the Seahawks have to be explosive and I just think it's going to be hard for them to do that without Ken Walker the third. So it, without him, assuming he's not going to play, you know, I'll say DK Metcalf. He certainly has the ability to do that. And then you saw him do it in that playoff game last year with the, you know, the long game. We've seen him do it a few times this season. Again, not as much as he has been. And I do think part of that has to do with the offensive line. But if they can hold up long enough, and if or if he can, you know, take a short gain and turn it into a long, uh, you know, a long play that really flips the field or gives them an explosive touchdown. I think it's going to be Metcalf, but I don't think that's easy. going to be easy to do. And on the 49ers side, this, neither of these are groundbreaking, but I just feel like it's going to be a pretty big George Kittle night. And I think we're going to see potentially a real big game from Debo Samuel. I don't know. I just kind of feel like he hasn't really had that and he'd been hurt and he's you know been back for a couple weeks. And as I said earlier, he's obviously made plays and just having him on the field has made such a difference, but I think we're going to see a pretty big Debo Samuel game. So that happens. You heard it here first. Probably not first, but you heard it here. Well, I I think it's always safe to pick Kittle in a game against the Seahawks just because they have been, at least anecdotally, they have been, you know, sort of, um, they've been kind of uh, vulnerable to tight ends. And you know that Kyle Shanahan, if Jamal Adams is out there, you know he's going to try to uh, get him some matchup opportunities with Adams. Now, Adams has been okay in coverage this season, but that still is not his strength. Uh, Julian Love, who's kind of been their third safety this season, um, you know, he's he's an okay cover guy, but he's gotten beat a few times. And so I agree with you that I think this could be a big Kittle game, regardless of whether Adams plays or not. See, really, if I wanted to be, if I wanted to really go X-Factor and add a limb, I could say it'd be like a really big Ross Dwelly game. That would be... And that would be a was. Thursday night deep cut. That would be, that really would, that would. So I'm just going to say this. If Ross Dwelly, for some reason, has an amazingly big game, you're welcome, guys. It's a little tidbit. You're not going to get everywhere. There is a chance that a lot of people listening to this podcast have no idea who Ross Dwelly is. Well, maybe they'll find out. Maybe they'll find out Thursday night. Maybe they will. All right, Brady, please let everyone know where they can find you. Yeah, it's just uh, on ESPN.com or on uh, X, as we're calling it these days, at Brady Henderson. Fantastic. And thank you so much for joining me, Brady. Next up, guys, we are going to preview a little bit of Michigan, Ohio State, because it's Ohio Week. Let's go. All right, guys, now that I have you ready with the great Brady Henderson for all things 49ers Seahawks, I am thrilled to welcome to the show Colton Denning of Two Stripes CPD 
Ohio.com, Ohio State fan, college football expert extraordinaire, Colton, welcome back. And yes, guys, I have an Ohio State fan on the podcast. I think that just shows how much of a professional I am. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, Tracy? I'm, I'm happy to be back on the show. I don't know about expert. Thank you. That's that's taken a I'm just a regular, regular college football fan, but uh, I, I'm excited. This is the best time of year, isn't it? It is. It's game week. It's so fun. I actually yesterday posted a reel of Chase Young pregame for the 49ers on the field, and I put in my caption that I would like my professionalism to be acknowledged because I was posting Buckeye content Ohio week, which was not easy for me and probably something I'm going to have to do again as the week goes on uh, since the 49ers have a couple Buckeyes, but also have some Michigan Wolverines. But this is the best time of the year. It's so funny because this past weekend, of course, for both teams is the game before the game. Michigan always has a weird game before the game and they pulled it out this week. They pulled it out last year. Um, obviously Ohio state just beat the bejeebers out of Minnesota. That's a team that, that Michigan played early in the year and also <laughs> beat them pretty yeah. handily. But now is the big week. The one that matters. I mean, the thing with the Ohio state game, Colton, and tell me if you agree with this, I feel like Michigan could go into this game having not won a single game, but if they won this one, then I'd be happy with the season. I feel like you would feel the same. Yeah, well, and especially given the circumstances, I mean, I think it's it's been. I, I saw a tweet uh, the other day uh, talking about the 2006 game, which is you know obviously legendary, one versus two, mm-hmm. and how that was at, at the time. It was so like it. It had only happened. It had never happened before. I think where they were one and two, and that was such a big deal. And the lead up to that was so crazy that it felt like wow, we're never going to see this again. And I think since then, uh, the teams have played with them both in the top five, like five times since. So mm-hmm. when we've seen it in the last, this is the third straight season in a row where it's like everything is on the line, basically. And mm-hmm. so not that we've gotten used to it, but it's just like you just kind of expect it now. But and so we haven't seen, you know, those games where like in 2004 for Ohio State, where they had four losses in Michigan, I think was ranked like sixth. Or in the Brady Hoke, uh, Rich Rodriguez era, where Ohio State was in the top ten, and Michigan basically was just like, "All right, well, you know, the rest of the season hasn't gone our way, but we're trying to play spoiler." You know, we right. really haven't seen that in a long time. So, yeah, I totally agree that like if if you had that scenario where one team had three or four losses and the other team was undefeated, that can completely change how you think and feel about the season. And you know, you would go right into bowl season with like, "Man, we just beat our rival." And, you know, we can win a bowl game and then we're just full speed ahead to next year. But we're in this situation where, you know, both teams, again, are undefeated and everything is on the line. Everything is on the line. And of course, there's been a lot surrounding it. Uh, our our love, our man, Coach Harbaugh, will not be on the sidelines. I love Jim Harbaugh with a passion <laughs> so much. I love him so much. I love his chickens. I've never met his chickens, but I love his chickens. I love everything about this man. So he will not be on the sidelines. He will be coaching during the week. There's been the whole Connor Stadalian sign ceiling, all of the things leading up to it. But we are where we are. And it'll be Sharon Moore who has coached the last two games. And I know there are people, you know, on the Michigan side who have had some complaints. I mean, I think for the most part, people have been pretty happy with Sharon. They've won both of the games, but 
people are wondering why J.J. McCarthy is not throwing the football. I'm very curious to see. Obviously, he's going to have to throw the football on Saturday in order for Michigan to win this game. That's going to have to be a huge part of their game. We found out today, it seems that both offensive linemen are going to be back. Roman Wilson will be fine. So that's huge uh, for Michigan. And I'm wondering this past Saturday against Maryland, how much that played into it. It doesn't seem that J.J. McCarthy's ankle is 100%. They lose Roman Wilson really early in the game. And I wonder how much that played into it. And then, you know, with the ankle issue, there were a couple big pass plays that JJ did miss on, which weren't, which was not like, and there was an overthrown pass. There was, of course, that interception in the end zone. But obviously on Saturday, everyone is going to have to be full steam ahead. But kind of what do you see when you look at this Michigan offense the last couple of weeks, when you look at what's been going on? with J.J. McCarthy and maybe that ankle not being 100%, how do you feel like Ohio State can capitalize? Well, I think the, you know, the thing with Sharon Moore is as great of a, you know, as and as as a fit of a coordinator as he's been for them, it it is, it isn't a seamless transition when you it's have not. a coordinator that has to step up and take on the duties of a head coach. And that's been uh, one of my biggest beefs with Ryan Day and a lot of other Ohio State fans is like, when you have a coach who's so offensive and wants to be the offensive coordinator, you can slack a little bit on your duties of just like managing the program or just in game, you know, when to call timeouts, how to just manage a game. And so I think for for any coach, especially when you're put in the situation that Moore has been put in and it's at the end of the season and you're kind of building up to, you know, this all the hoopla that comes with Michigan, Ohio State, it, it's a lot to put on anybody's plate. And so uh, and you you talked about it that each team uh, in in previous years in Michigan recently because this used to be an Ohio State thing where it was like they'd always play Illinois before Michigan and it would always just be a terrible game and they would mm-hmm. you know they'd come out with a clunker and for Michigan it kind of it feels like the last few years have been the same thing where so much has been on the line and it's like let's just get to the last week in November healthy and alive and however we win is however we win so I think that Michigan's kind of been. In that sector. And I also think that um, I'm trying to, the best way to put it, because I'm not trying to rag on him, but I, I do feel like that they have tried to hide some of JJ McCarthy's deficiencies, even <gasps> even pre pre ankle. You just used the I, word deficiency with JJ McCarthy. I went there. Because <gasps> I, I think, and to no. me, to me, that's really, to a, a broader point, the big key for this game for both of these teams is. You know, I haven't seen through Kyle McCord's first full season as a starter. I haven't seen Ohio State play a good defense and him be the the driving force behind mm-hmm. their offense. You know, they, they've had moments here and there. And of course, you know, the best play for them is to just throw it up to 18 to Marvin Harrison Jr. and just let him make a play. But he's going to have to show that he can beat a really good Michigan defense. And I think that that's the same thing for J.J. McCarthy is, you know, they they broke five, six big plays last year, but those were guys that were 15, 20 yards open. Is he going to be able to hit tight window throws to give guys separation on those throws against a good Ohio State secondary? And I think whichever, it, it's so simple and it's so basic and people say it all the time, but like at its most basic level to me in this game, it's which quarterback can one, limit their mistakes and two, who can make a couple more big time throws and put their offense in even just position to get points because I would be shocked if this is like a uh, even like the 2006 game where it was 42 to 39 like I don't think we're looking at a track meet here I think this is 
you if you get to whoever gets to 27 first probably is going to win this game that's fair i definitely could see that i will say a couple weeks ago during the penn state game i said i texted a friend of mine and i said JJ seems maybe just the tiniest, littlest bit off today. And that is the most critical thing you will ever hear me say about JJ McCarthy. So for you to say the word deficient, you're lucky I didn't just end this podcast. Well, I got to be a hater. I can't, I can't just come on and be so nice. I was so nice last year after Ohio State. Just well, got last year I had you on after the game ended. That was... That, that I had good. that I had to give props. And so now it's, you know, it's beforehand. So I don't have to give the props yet. That's fair. That's totally fair. And that's and that is the fun of it. Um, I think anyone who follows me on social media also knows I love JJ McCarthy. Anyone who follows me on social media or even like knows I exist, I think knows my feelings about <laughs> Michigan football. I was in when I was in Jacksonville a couple weeks ago watching the Penn State game. So this was kind of crazy. Our rooms didn't have Fox. So, but the sports bar and the lower lobby, there were TVs like in this like kind of lower lobby area, they had Fox. So I guess they didn't have it in cable, but they had in direct TV. So I sat in the lower lobby for four hours and watched the Michigan Ohio State game. I'm sorry, Michigan Penn State game basically by myself. A couple of Penn State fans came over to sit with me for a little while, but for the most part, it was me, myself and I, uh, but various players and coaches of the 49ers and people kept walking by and I felt the brand is strong because every <laughs> one of them was like, oh, how are your guys doing? It looks like they're doing well. I was like, oh my God, everybody knows. <laughs> everybody knows. It's you just... got to have a brand. That's the most important yeah. thing. And yesterday it was in my, or on Sunday, it was in my Instagram story. Jair Brown came in and says to me, who's, who's Michigan got this week? And I was like, Ohio State. And I was like, the brand is strong. Brand is strong, guys. It's got um, to be. It's, it's got to be. It should be. Should be a good game. You brought up you know, the defenses and, I, and the secondaries. And I think that's really worth talking about because to me, those people, yes, I agree with you. It's going to come down to that with the quarterback who limits their mistakes and who can make one or two really big time throws to lead their team to victory. But on the other end of those throws are the defenders and the secondaries yep. for both teams. It, for teams and the 49 uh, the 49ers. See, this is the problem when you cover an NFL <laughs> team and then you want to talk about your favorite college team. Uh, the the Wolverines have obviously an incredible nickel in Mikey Sanristil. They have an excellent corner, uh, outside corner in Will Johnson. Mikey Sanristil, to me, for Michigan, might end up being the X factor because he's just he's always able to make a play. And when they need him, he seems to always be able to get the job done. And it may be funny to talk about a nickel as the X factor, but he may be the X factor. We all know Blake Corum's going to have a great game. We all know, I think both quarterbacks will play well. Who limits their mistakes? Roman Wilson will have a great game. R Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to have a great game, but it's going to have to be someone else who really steps up and makes that play. To me, that could very well be Mike Cassandra still. Would love to hear your thoughts on that and then who you feel like that could be for Ohio State. Yeah, and just, you know, in the times that I've watched Michigan, he's such a special player and it always feels like, you know, whenever there's a, a big play that needs to be made, he's the guy that's making it for them. And he did it, what, twice uh, against mm -hmm. Maryland in huge spots. And I think that that's really any, you know, even beyond Michigan, Ohio State, I think any great college rivalry those you like you said, you know that the stars are going to come out to play. You know what you're going to get from the top guys. But this is truly where kind of your your legends are made. Where it's like you know a, a good player becomes somebody who's etched in stone forever because they made a huge play in this rivalry game. 
Um, and I certainly agree that, you know, Sanders still, he's already a, a great player, but he's the guy that I look at from the opposite side where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the guy. If somebody's going to make a play, it's probably going to be him. And I think for Ohio State, um, it's probably, you know, it's not an unsung hero. He's probably their best overall defensive player, but it's uh, JT Tuomaloa, the defensive end. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy who, I, I don't want to say like on a play-by-play basis, doesn't play spectacularly because, you know, I think he's going to end up, if he ends up as a first-round pick, I wouldn't be shocked in this next year's draft, but he's going to be a guy who's probably at, at the very least the top two-round pick. But it seems like whenever they need somebody to make a play in the vein of Mikey Sanders still, it's always JT Tuomaloa. He he did it against Penn State this year. He did it against Penn State uh, last year with a, a pick six and I think three sacks in the fourth quarter. Whenever they need somebody to make a big play, it's almost always him. And so on that defensive line and in the trenches in this game where it's going to be so important, whether it's in the run game or the pass game, getting after the quarterback, you're going to have to have guys who create pressure who make plays in the backfield in the run game and far and away GT Tuomaloa has been that guy for Ohio State and even even when he's had quiet games it's like man he's not doing anything and then fourth quarter sack tackle for loss force fumble and it's like okay I can live with that as long as the guy's making big plays and it seems like that's always him for this Ohio State defense. I am looking up because I can't remember his full name, which is really a bad fan of me because the other X factor in this game who kind of was the X factor in the Maryland game is the Michigan punter who really did a yeoman's job. I mean, honestly, he kind of changed the game. And I know that sounds silly, but I don't know if you watched. He was incredible. I want to say his last name is Homan. Well, and here's here's the thing. I wanted to talk about that with you because to me, this is as much as the the quarterback play kind of defines it for me and who can, you know, like I said, limit mistakes and make a couple big throws is going to define it. I think the margins in this game are special teams. And that mm-hmm. is that is what really scares me because I think that's what Michigan's, I think that's the one big advantage Michigan has in this game mm-hmm. is that, and I, I don't even, like I, I've watched every Michigan game, but I, I couldn't give you a breakdown on how their special teams are. But I can give you a breakdown on how bad Ohio State special teams are because <laughs> I did a whole YouTube video about it in their past couple of seasons. And it's really, really cost them. And, you know, their field goal kicking has been fine. Their punting for the most part is pretty spectacular. But they just do a bunch of little things that for the last three seasons have cost them games. And quite honestly, it cost them probably the national championship last year with what they did against Michigan and and what they did against Georgia. And they've had a a moment, at least one moment in every single game this year, whether it's okay. Sorry, Tommy Doman. Continue. Um, continue. (laughs) They've had one moment in pretty much almost every game this year, whether it's uh, a procedural penalty, they have too many guys on the field. They have an illegal formation. They try to fake a punt. Uh, mm-hmm. Rutgers, or either Michigan State faked a punt against them the other week. So even in games where they're rolling, they keep having these problems. And a, a big conversation amongst Ohio State Twitter and the Ohio State online kind of world is uh, the special teams coordinator, Parker Fleming. And uh, when you're having discussions about your special teams coordinator three months into the season like you you know that something is wrong and so uh to the point where like they had him for a media availability uh the other week because people have been talking about hey he needs to be fired 
So this is a really, really big thing. And it's been an issue for them for three seasons now. And I think like if, again, if there's one thing where I really look at and say, that is the main thing that scares me about this game, it could be the difference between who wins. And I and ultimately, like, I'm kind of worried that it will be. Well, and Tommy Doman, now that I have looked up his name and remembered, and now it will be etched in my memory forever. And I'm sorry, Tommy, I really am because... <laughs> You are, I have a rotating, this is more information that you need, but I have five favorite players on the Michigan Wolverines team and they rotate as to who's number one kind of week to week. But then there's a sixth spot every week and that sixth spot is the wild card. And this week, the sixth spot did belong to Kenneth Grant and Tommy Doman. They shared it. So I now have his name etched in my memory and I'll never forget it. But he really, he, in all honesty, kind of was a difference that game. Obviously, Mikey Sanders still, obviously the Michigan defense, but especially that last punt that backed Maryland up so bad, so badly, and um, that caused the intentional grounding. Then that, you know, yeah. that got the safety, and that made the difference. Granted, Michigan would have, they were still up by five, but then getting the safety, I mean, it changed a lot of the trajectory of the game. It was towards the end of there. He had another punt earlier that was exceptional, in a word. So, it very well could be the difference in the game. And that's the thing with special teams. It's like nobody really thinks about it. Nobody really wants to talk about it until they do. And when it makes a difference, bad or good, then people are talking about it. And that could very well be something we see this week. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's something that fans, whether it's at the pro or college level, like you never you never worry about it until something happens. And then you're like, well, why did this go wrong? And, and, and what's, what's so, what's so cool. And also uh, so alarming about special teams is, is it only takes one play. Like it, you can do everything right. Michigan in 2015 could have had the best punt team in the history of college football. But even if they did, the one thing people would always remember would be the bobbled snap against Michigan State. That's oh. literally all it takes. Like it doesn't matter. Oh. And it just, it's, those are always such high leverage situations where when it goes wrong, nobody ever thinks about anything else. And so uh, on a stage like this, I really do think that it's going to be, uh, it could be the difference in the game. So from your perspective, not having Harbaugh on the sidelines. Do you think that changes it dramatically? Obviously, it changes it. I mean, Harbaugh, hate him or love him. We know my feelings on him. But hate him or love him, he's one of a kind. And hate him or love him, he's a heck of a coach. Like, you can't deny that. He is a really, really good football coach. And, of course, having him there is different than having anybody else there. It's a reason he is the head coach. But from your perspective, is that going to dramatically change the end of this game or players win games, not coaches. And if all things being equal, both sides execute as they should, is it not going to matter? Not not going to matter. You know, it's, it's, it's tough because I I think that, um, I think that Michigan is so locked into what they do that like, they don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about, um, you know, anything from a culture perspective changing at all. I think that that's, you know, like you said, whether, whether you love him like you do or you hate him like I do. Like it, they're, they are set in their culture. And I don't think not having him on the sideline for game day is going to completely change that. But the one thing is, is like, 
when you're on the sidelines for this particular game, it's not like it's not like any other game. It's just mm-hmm. it's just not. And for Sharon Moore, I think that there's going to be a moment where he's like, holy crap, like this is not Maryland. This isn't Michigan State. This isn't whatever. Well, Penn State. I yeah. will say Penn State was a bit. I thought I, I will. The thing that kind of gives me confidence and not sorry to interrupt, which just feels timely, was that he took over that Penn State head coaching or had to coach head coach. Let me start that sentence all over again. He had to take <laughs> over his head coach for Penn State, which is something he learned 20 hours before that game. It was a tough game. It was a good team in a very tough environment. And his ability to coach that game certainly gave me confidence. But continue. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, for one thing, it's big that he got to have that moment and have it on the road against yes. Penn State where it was, you know, you had the events of the last 24 hours leading up to it. And then you have to go into an environment as crazy as Penn State's. But even that, there's just, there's something about this game that's just different. And I I think that Michigan fans and Ohio State fans approach the game in two completely, totally different ways that are unique to the fan base. But even, you know, Ryan Day, this is his, what, 2019, this is his fourth game. Mm -hmm. And I still think he feels the weight of it as somebody who came in from the outside and he's kind of alluded to it of, you know, not being an Ohio guy. And then even five years in being like, whoa, this is, this is different. And it's, it's different from when you're a coordinator to when you get to that head job and you're on the sideline for it. And you know, like if we win, I'm going down one and zero against Ohio state. If we lose, I'm going 0-1-1 against Ohio State and, and, you know, vice versa for Ohio State coaches against Michigan and what their records are. And I I think that that's where, you know, Michigan needs to be very strong within their game management in this one Mm -hmm. because it's just just not the same as a regular game. There's so much emotion and you add into the fact that both teams are undefeated. You're playing for the division title. You're basically playing for a playoff spot because it – unless something crazy happens around the country like it did last year, there are three or four or five other teams who are viable to make the playoffs. So it's hard to see, you know, a loss getting you back in. So this one really feels like it has all that extra pressure to it. And and not that I don't think that uh, more isn't up to it. It's just now we, you know, you really get to see how these coaches can handle the pressure. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that, um, I don't think it'll be a total difference for Michigan just to make a super long story short, but uh, it's, it's definitely a factor. And I think it'll be a feeling out process for him to just have that moment to be like, Whoa, like this is, this is a lot. Yeah. And it is, it is a lot. There are a couple moments in the Maryland game that gave me a little confidence too. And again, it's not Ohio state and you're right. This is a completely different situation, but there was that fourth and eight play where they went for it and they got it. And there was another fourth and one play. And I th- those decisions and them turning out successfully, I felt like for more, were good for this game, if that makes yeah. sense. Those were the, you were against Maryland. I, it's interesting that game, I was so stressed for that Mar- during that Maryland game. I was stressed leading into it because as we've discussed, the game before the game is just always weird. And it's been very weird for Michigan. And I, as stressed as I was and as like nervous I was, I paced the entire fourth quarter. I did not sit down for that entire quarter, but I knew they'd win. 
Like I never thought they weren't going to win, but I thought those moments were some pretty important moments in terms of game management, in terms of having to make decisions and then having them be successful, I think was good. But you're right. It's a totally different thing. And, you know, it, it's not going to be easy. And it's, it's also not going to be easy when this wasn't your job three yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> you know, that, that's just that. But I think the thing is the players seem to love him. And, you know, he was calling the offensive plays anyway. So, you know, there's that. Jesse Minter obviously has done an incredible job with that defense. And, and we've talked about that. But this is um, this is going to be a big one in Ann Arbor, Michigan versus everybody. I have not mentioned yet on the podcast that I will be in Ann Arbor for the game. I am so excited. I told Colton before we started 49ers usually play on Sunday, so I never get to go to this game. Yep. But with them playing Thursday, I'm flying to Detroit on Friday morning, and I am really excited. It has been a long time since I've been to a Michigan-Ohio State game, and I just think the atmosphere is going to be, not to be dramatic, but in a word, it's going to be electric. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about really uh, just already the rivalry is the rivalry, and mm-hmm. then you have the added everything that's at stake, which we talked about. But then just everything happening off the field. Oh, absolutely. And it is it has a whole other level to it. And it's gonna be crazy. And you know, I, I think that we are uh, you know, we really didn't get anything last year, but there was a there was a little scrum, a little scruffle, a little mini fight mm-hmm. in the twenty twenty one game. I think it's gonna be as chippy as it's been oh, in a long time. And quite honestly, there's there's a lot of pressure in this one. And I, I you know, I I can't speak for, for Michigan fans, but just from an Ohio State perspective, this is a game that they have to win. And uh, I love the juxtaposition between you and I here because you are very, you know, I love these guys. I love, you know, you have the positivity with it. And I'm just such, I'm such a militant Ohio State fan that <laughs> I'm just like, these guys have to win or else this season, this run means nothing. Like, I don't care that you win 11 and one. It doesn't matter. If you lose to Michigan three straight years in a row, and especially, you know, for Ryan Day, uh, this is a game that he has to win because you can't lose three straight. You just you can't lose two straight, but you really can't lose three straight. And you can't have a run where you've had, um, you know, you've had C.J. Stroud, you've had Chris Olave, you've had Garrett Wilson, you've had Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, now you have Marvin Harrison Jr., and, you know, a host of the other good players they've had, you can't cycle those guys out of the program and none of them get gold pants for beating Michigan. It's just not acceptable. And so there is so much at stake here. And I think for Michigan, you know, none of those guys would ever say, like, yeah, we got nothing to lose because, you know, all the pressure's on Ohio State because those guys want to win just as bad as Ohio State does. But I think from an Ohio State fan perspective, there's a lot more, hey, y'all need to get this done than there probably is from the other side because uh, the negative of Ohio State losing is, I I think, so much larger than the negatives would be on the Michigan side, you know, if they lose this game because they have so many distractions right now. You don't have Harbaugh on the sideline. Mm -hmm. There's just, not that there's excuses because eventually you just got to line up and go play the game, but I think there's it's a little more understandable, I guess. And uh, if you're if you're on the Michigan spectrum of the end rather than Ohio State. Well, I would say that it's certainly I think there's more pressure on Ohio State. And yeah. I with this Michigan team, with all the distractions, and we know there have been a lot of them and there 
are a lot of them right now. This team does seem unbelievably locked in. And to me, the Penn State game was so huge because, like I said before about Sharon Moore, but this is really true for the entire team. They find out 20 hours before their coach isn't going to be on the sideline. They are on the plane. They are in the air on the way to Penn State. They all decide to tweet bet, which has now become part of the Michigan vernacular. Everything is bet, go blue. And there's just so much around that on the road, again, against a tough team, as I mentioned earlier. When they went in there and won that game and they were so locked in, I did feel like, okay, they're going to be fine. Because if they could win today with yeah. all of that, they're going to be fine. And then they have to go on the road to Maryland and their linebackers coach gets fired the day before. I mean, there's a lot of things that have happened and they they lock in and they play. And I feel like they're in that regard, they're going to be fine. Do they miss their coach? Absolutely. But talk about a win one for the Gipper. I mean, this is like, this is like storybook stuff, you know? So it just feels like they're going to be okay and they're just going to play the game. I agree with you. There's a lot of pressure on Ohio State. And as much pressure there is on Michigan, it's a different kind of pressure. Yeah, agreed. And that's, I mean, that's what that's what makes this particular game and this rivalry as a whole so special because it, it's already awesome on its own. But when you just add gas to the fire, you get mm-hmm. this tremendous blaze and now we all get to see the results. So I, I think that, uh, each, you know, each game in the last whatever since, you know, 2018 was such a big game. 2019 mm-hmm. was, you know, a little less than 2018, but it was still Ohio State was number one. And I think Michigan was eight or nine at the time. Yeah. Uh, 2021, huge game. 2022, last year was massive. And this year, I think, is is right up with last year where it's just like there's so much on the line that all of the storylines coming out of it are going to be insane. It is going to be insane. It is Ohio week. It is the week we are all waiting for. I just like got chills thinking about it. I'm so excited. I literally can't wait till Friday. I said to Colt before we started, I'm glad this is such an insane week for me because I can't wait to get on that plane Friday. And I think it is just going to fly on by. Yep. Yeah. I think you're, you're about to have a crazy week. I'm just sitting at home. I'm cooking and I'm watching football. So you're, you're, you're out and about and I'm just going to be the, the homebody getting ready. Well, my, my best friend said to me earlier, she said, it is such a you week because I'm spending this day you know, doing podcasts and I actually have a birthday tonight. So that's fine. But then Tuesday, 49ers practice. It's their only you know practice really for us with media availability for the week because the short week Wednesday, I head to Seattle Thursday, cover Thursday night football on Thanksgiving Friday, fly to Detroit. It is a very insane week, but it's mm. a very me week. And I'm really really excited about but it is funny to me because we're recording this monday and between now and saturday the amount of places i'm going is kind of insane the biggest travel that i have to do this week is after we're done recording this i'm gonna go to the market in palo alto and go pick up the turkey and that's (laughs) that that is i'm making my grocery runs today i'm getting all that done today and then uh i am just working on some youtube projects actually a special little ohio state michigan video and then i'm just cooking for the rest of the week and that's it Well, we're going to have a fun week. It'll be a great game on Saturday. Colton, this is so fun as it was last year. Please let everyone know where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter slash X at Dubsco, D-U-B-S-C-O. You can read all of my work 
at twostripescpd.com. I cover all of college football, do a lot of fun stuff there. And then on YouTube, youtube.com slash Colton Denning. I'm biased, but I think I have the best collection of college football highlights on YouTube. Uh, we're almost at 10,000 subscribers, which is oh, great. Awesome. Um, and so uh, we're right near the end of the season. So a lot of throwback stuff. Uh, that's really my bread and butter during during the off season. So if you love college football, if you love college football highlights, youtube.com slash Colton Denning, that is the place you want to go. I promise you will not be disappointed. It is, it is the best place for college football highlights on the internet. I can promise you that. Fantastic. You guys make sure to check it out. Colton, have a great week. I hope you have fun on Saturday. I just hope you have a little bit <laughs> less fun than I do. Well, my thing is, is if they lose, uh, then I can just, I can go off, which is like, that's always therapeutic. So I either, Ohio State either wins or my fire Ryan Day campaign kicks into full gear again. So not that either way I win, but uh, I have, I have agendas either way. So let's just, let's see where it shakes out. And I know you really want the best for me and you want my trip to Ann Arbor to be as wonderful as it could be. So oh, I want you to be miserable on Saturday I'm from from nine to <laughs> nine to three. I want you to be absolutely miserable and then just have a fantastic rest of your week. That is unkind. But what do I expect <laughs> from a person that said the word deficiency and JJ McCarthy in the same sentence? You can't expect anything less from me. I really cannot. Colton, this was so fun. Have a great time. Happy Thanksgiving. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Tracy. Anytime. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful week and all of your travels are safe. Thank you so much. All right. If you like what you heard, and I know that you did, please make sure to give us a five-star rating and a super positive review. We are brought to you by Bet Online. We are brought to you by Fivo. You guys can follow me on X at TracyFGSN, on Instagram at Tracy Sandler. And with that, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye, all. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.